By now, I'm sure you've heard about the Progressive Bitcoiners' partnership with SunExchange, the solar cell leasing platform that is bringing solar power to businesses and communities in South Africa. It turns out signing up is incredibly easy, and having recently done so, I was excited to see that I could help fund their new project, which is providing solar energy to Group Constantia, South Africa's oldest winery. Why would a winery do this? Well, it's simple, to maintain their commitment to conservation while meeting the unique energy demands of a vineyard. With Sun Exchange, you can easily earn Bitcoin and make a positive impact on the planet. With their new partnership, I'm hoping maybe we can earn bottles of wine back instead. But in the meantime, I'll take some sats. And lucky for you, progressive Bitcoiner listeners, get a free solar cell with their first purchase at thesunexchange.com backslash progressive Bitcoiner. You know, I, I want to reflect on the idea of like voting with your with your dollars, voting with your money. I don't think that the U.S. government that supremacy is based off of oil and the petrodollar and having deals with dictators and you know controlling the world by uh, our you know oil backed dollar. Um, I don't think they are going to do a great job at solving climate change. I don't think they have, and I don't think they will in time that we need it. So in the same way of like, people tell you to vote with your dollars and don't buy things from big companies uh, that you don't agree with. Like for me, saving my money in Bitcoin is voting with my money. Welcome to the Progressive Bitcoiner podcast where we explore the intersection of Bitcoin and progressive issues. I'm your host, Mark Stefani. My guest today is Marissa Coelho. Marissa has her master's in geography from UCSB and her undergrad in environmental engineering. As a lifelong environmental advocate, addressing climate change has been a personal and professional goal. Despite discouragement from her academic advisors, Marissa remains a passionate advocate for Bitcoin's potential to address the climate crisis. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode with Marissa Coelho. All right, Marissa Coelho, thank you so much for joining me on the Progressive Bitcoiner podcast. I'm happy to have you. Hey, Mark. Thanks so much for having me. It's an honor. Thank you so much. I think it'd be helpful for our listeners to get a better understanding of your background, who you are. Um, you obviously have spent some time on Twitter in the climate change, environmental aspects of Bitcoin. And so I think knowing uh, your background and what you've studied will be helpful for our conversation going forward. Sure, absolutely. So uh, I'm from a farm, a farmy town in uh, the southern part of Northern California called Petaluma, a town that smells like cow manure. So I grew up with a huge passion for animals and nature and being really in touch with those things. My high school had a wildlife museum on it where I was super involved. I would give tours about, you know, we had exhibits of like Africa, animals from Africa and uh, North America and things like that. So I was really passionate about saving the animals from climate change. I ended up going to college. I studied environmental resources engineering where I thought I was gonna be able to save the world. Uh, from climate change while also using math, which sounded great to me. Um, I loved it. It was great. You definitely can do a lot of great things with environmental engineering, but I wanted to do a little bit more in terms of climate change science. So I decided to go to grad school for three main reasons. 
Uh, one of them is where I wanted to program more. In my engineering program, they taught us Fortran. For those who know, they know that's a pretty funny one to still learn these days. Uh, but I loved it. So I wanted to keep programming. I wanted to help with climate change and particularly climate change science. And I wanted to uh, get the cred credentials to become a professor. So I applied and I got accepted to join a PhD geography program. And geography just means the study of anything and how it relates to everything. Uh, so <laughs> Not broad at all. <laughs> yeah, I uh, didn't really know what geography meant in that sense before I joined the program or found the program. Uh, and in that PhD program, I was studying local meteorology, which is weather and its impact on wildfire. So I was at UC Santa Barbara and behind. So UC Santa Barbara is on the southern coast of California. So one side of the town, we have the beautiful ocean. And the other side of the town, we have these mountains called the Sanias Mountains. And similar to uh, down south, we have downslope winds called sundowners, and they have made uh, the local wildfires behave really uh, strangely and dramatically. So here I've been looking at how the winds are influenced by something called mountain waves, so very much on the physics side of uh, meteorology and weather. Um, so I was learning a lot about climate, atmospheric science, uh, attending nearly weekly presentations about the damage we've done in terms of climate change. And I really increasingly started to get a lot more depressed with my outlook and really feeling stuck in the this is how screwed we are phase um, of the emotional range of climate change. Since most of the talks were just like, here's the science. This is how bad it is hard stop. That was it. Um, so I really started to feel like I wasn't going to be able to save the world anymore and that I really had to focus on saving myself and my family and making sure we could uh, be okay for the future. I want to interrupt you there if I, if, if I can. Yeah. Was your sense of doom due to the disruption of your idealism that you came into the program with, or was it in combination with a sense that there's nothing that we can do about climate change? Yeah, it was more, it was more of like, it, it, I felt helpless of like, there wasn't much we could do. There was a lot, there's like a lot of great ideas, a lot of things we've been told, like we're doing this, we have renewables, um, but like things just haven't changed a lot. There hasn't been a lot of progress from my perspective. Um, we're still emitting like tons and tons of carbon. So uh, from my perspective, it was like we weren't making the type of progress that we needed um, to be able to like, you know, for me to still have like a healthy and prosperous future. I'm really scared of famine, you know, drought, things like that. And like having to uh, see people suffer. I'm, I'm a huge empath. So when I hear things about climate disasters or I think about climate disasters, like the floods that we're seeing right now. Like I just like have that really visceral reaction of like feeling those feelings for the people who are affected and imagine it happening to me and my family. So yeah, it was more of just like, we're not, we're not doing enough and it's going too slow, <laughs> going too slow. Um, but I felt really committed to my PhD program and it felt like an honor to get to be uh, in the department, my advisor was like counting on me for the research that I committed to do. And 
it did feel like I was doing good things, even being on like a tangible project of like studying the winds to help firefighters have a better idea of like how the wildfires spread. Like I, I thought that would be fulfilling. Um, I really wanted to make sure to find a project that I still had real life impact versus just like studying some obscure part of the science, but it still felt pretty obscure to me, even though I had a tangible connection to like first responders. Did your peers have a similar sentiment? It's kind of a mixed bag. I feel like I'm around a lot of people who are optimists. (laughs) So they think technology is going to come save us or they think... Just not Bitcoin. Yeah, just not. Yeah, most of them, they don't think that technology uh, is Bitcoin. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it's a mixed bag. I do have some friends who like, they feel pretty doomed as well. Uh, And it's kind of a lot to hold on to and process. So I know a lot of people who also just kind of, you know, try not to think about it or try to stay hopeful in their own like ignorance. So you started the program and the sense of futility in your actions and what you're studying sets in. And you start to question whether or not, not only what you're doing, wanting to do professionally is going to be a benefit, but also um, whether or not you want to stay in the program. Yeah. What was that process like for you? So I felt pretty committed. Like I said, I felt like my advisor was counting on me. Um, felt like, wow, I got here. I got into a PhD program. It's a pretty big accomplishment. Uh, I wasn't super stoked on the idea of like going back to a traditional engineering job and didn't really feel like I had that next thing that really sparked a lot of passion in me. Um, I also like was really, really thankful for the amount of flexibility grad school gave me during COVID. Um, you can make your own schedule. And if you're really efficient, like you don't have to work many hours as long as you get your work done. So I really liked that. Uh, I liked keeping the flexibility. And I also thought staying in grad school, having the opportunity to take a summer off and a quarter off would maybe give me a lot more flexibility to take a good maternity leave since maternity leave in the U.S. is really crummy. But yeah, that's not the best reason to stay in the PhD program. Um, and I guess pay prospects were also like something attractive of like, okay, if I stay, then I'll be able to like have a higher salary, um, but with an engineering degree, that's also true as well. So I, I just hadn't made any big decisions. I was staying. I had always been really fascinated with the idea of homesteading, doing everything yourself. I'm a big DIYer. So you name it, I've tried it. Um, But in the vein of like feeling like I have to save myself and my family from a a future with a changing climate, I started to feel like homesteading was like a must. Um, Right in that comes like I need to be able to afford land. So I want to keep a high paying job. uh, And I knew I needed to invest since like inflation, basically. Um, So I didn't come from a super financially literate family. So I taught myself about investing, about the stock market. And then once I taught myself about the stock market, I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to teach myself about this Bitcoin thing. I hear everybody talking about these days. So what what year was this? This is back in 2021. So I still feel like pretty fresh in the space compared to people on Bitcoin Twitter. Um, But yeah, back at the top, right. That we can see now. And, uh, it changed my life in the very best way, learning about Bitcoin. I mean, I 
got to learn about the economy. I learned like about monetary policy and how it supported war and oppression and control and harm. Um, learning about how Bitcoin is freedom go up technology and how it's actively helping disadvantaged, uh, oppressed people, people of color, um, which really resonates with me as a liberal and, and a person of color. So yeah, Bitcoin started to give me a lot of hope. And so when you first heard about it, did you have any thoughts as to whether or not it had any impact on your on the environment, whether positive or negative? Was it, or did you come at it simply as the investment analysis? Yeah, when I first approached it, it was like from an investment standpoint, because that's what most of my peers were talking about it as. But once I started to see the benefits of it as a technology in general, um, I I didn't really question the environmental uh, impact of it since, you know, I'm from America, I'm from Western society, I know my lifestyle and uh, many people's like me has an enormous environmental footprint. And I also know that important technologies have a big uh, environmental footprint, like carbon, carbon capture, something that we're going to need to do. And that requires like so much energy. I forget the exact number, but like the whole world's amount of electricity consumption or something crazy like that. So it wasn't something that was initially on my mind. Uh, since I kind of like wrestled with the thought of like my life is like a huge user of resources and things like that. And knowing that good technologies use uh, energy and resources. Um, but then I started to see it talked about a lot more, I think, with like Elon's post or whatever. It like really started to make me look at it twice and think about it a little bit more. I saw people in the Bitcoin space um, being like, hey, no, it can really like help with building up renewables. Um, and I think at that point, I had already seen Bitcoin as such a great technology in terms of like human rights. I was like, yeah, of course it like uses energy. Like, so does like a lot of great things. So, and like, yeah. Were you aware of the environmental concerns at, at some point and, and had to backpedal about your, with your interest in, in believe that it was, it was a good technology or did it all feel fairly streamlined where you went from, I, I learned about it. I think it's a, a force for good. And then the concern for the environment comes up, but you already believe it to be good and, and can see through some of that. Yeah, it was very much, very much the latter of like, I had already studied Bitcoin to understand like how much benefit it could do for the world, just in terms of people's lives um, that I didn't, yeah, I didn't really like backpedal. I didn't have that moment of like, oh, wait, no, this is bad. Yeah, I think there's a commonality there with people who come into Bitcoin in that manner, where it's they have are curious about Bitcoin, they start start their journey with learning about monetary history and money mm -hmm. and all the other elements mm -hmm. um, that encompass Bitcoin. And so, when you get to the concerns about it, and in our case, the environmental concerns, right. you you don't feel as jaded um, or, or um, preconceived notions of what harm it may or may not be doing, you can see through that in with a more objective lens. Right. So I, I, I agree. I think there's something to that when you come at Bitcoin with a background knowledge in it from this other perspective that you can look at the environmental concerns, I think, a bit more objectively as opposed to the other scenario where I think a lot of the environmentalists who have their concerns with it start with that perspective. Right. Yeah. I, I think it was helpful for me to be a bit jaded by you know, the U.S. government and 
just feeling like the existing monetary structure now in the like you know US the US as a global reserve currency has been doing like so much harm to people and the environment for a very long time and kind of like knowing that already helped me to just like yeah bitcoin is a huge improvement so I'm curious to know what have conversations been like with uh, your peers, with other environmentalists or climate scientists that you've encountered after you've you've gone down the rabbit hole here? Yeah, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Um, when I was first evaluating what to do uh, about my new passion, um, I was talking to professors in uh, energy department at my university since I was considering switching PhD programs. Um, to be able to study Bitcoin and its impact uh, for good on the environment. And, you know, they they heard me out. They're like, okay, yeah, demand response, that's good, but you can do that with other things. You know, I had a professor straight up be like, you're drinking the Kool-Aid too much, like you're reading their sources too much, and had another professor like straight up say, like, you're just trying to pump the price on a speculative asset, which was hard to hear. I I feel like I didn't really respond to it in the best way since it was pretty early in like my talking about Bitcoin uh, journey. I've been meaning to like revisit with those professors and talk to them a little bit more. Um, In terms of like peers, though, I've had a lot of conversations with like uh, friends from my engineering program. Um, And I have a good network of them who I've stayed in contact with who are all like into Bitcoin uh, and crypto more broadly. But uh, so it's been nice to talk to them. They they get it. But there, I have had some friends who um, I get comments like, well, you know, they will cite the more at all paper. So then I start to explain to them like the problems behind that paper. Um, and they're like, well, it would just be really great to have like a carbon analysis expert, like be the one answering these questions. Like we can't trust those Bitcoiners to like, no. (laughs) And I I have this one notable friend who we've always been, yeah. But you're a Bitcoiner and do they trust you? Right. I think they trust me, but they want to hear like a big famous scientist, carbon budget scientist uh, come out and say like, it's okay. Right. It doesn't produce a lot of carbon. Or I have this one friend who we've always been pretty bonded over talking about the corruption of the world and things like that. And uh, I started to see him like post things about Bitcoin and how it's bad for the environment. So I started to reach out to him about it. Um, I reached out to him periodically after a couple of weeks. And, you know, his first couple like rebuttals were like, well, you know, he uses so much energy. I'm like, well, it's like comparable to, you know, clothes dryers or Christmas lights. And he's like, well, I don't use a clothes dryer. I don't use Christmas lights. So like, I can't condone it because it's bad. I'm like, well, okay. That was okay. That was like the first conversation. And then I've like reached out to him periodically because I know when it clicks for him uh, that I think his worldview will expand and give him a lot more hope as it did me. um, Since he also really cares about human rights, things like that. And he knows that the fight against climate change has been pretty slow. But during our last talk, we got really close, um, or I felt like I got really close of him. He's like, I, I sent him uh, the podcast about the company Best Bean doing things with landfill methane. And he essentially was like, oh, you found a market solution. Like, that's cool. But 
I just wanted to like nobody to profit from it. Like we should just be doing it. And I just like, don't like Bitcoin. Okay. So we talked about a little bit more and then he was really worried about like Wall Street controlling the price of Bitcoin and how that's hurting people who really need it. And I was like, you know, like that's probably coming from a pretty financially privileged place. You know, people who are dealing with hyperinflation, authoritarian governments who control their spending, like, you know, the price like dropping over the last year, like hasn't really impacted them. It's still helping them a lot. And I, I did get him or he responded with like, hmm. I guess I don't really understand the tech. Maybe I'll go buy that book. So that that felt like a uh, accomplishment. So it's been a mixed bag. I've been trying to work on how to approach the conversations a little bit better. Um, it's definitely a work in progress. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. You've Having been in Bitcoin now for a year, how are you approaching these conversations differently? Yeah, I, I've started to try to start with what, the person is concerned about like if i know if it's climate climate change like starting with the renewables or if they're really worried about human rights and uplifting people of color starting with that um sometimes it feels a bit tricky talking to people who aren't super educated like i start with the, with the renewable energy part of like demand needs to equal supply and sometimes i feel like that's even hard to explain um, so I really try to stick with the basics of like and explaining each piece. It's like when you come home and you turn your lights on, they're turning generators on. But then I feel like some people don't even know what I mean when I say like a generator. So I've also taken note from, I forget his name, but you had him on your podcast talking about misinformation. Uh, and he talked about asking people how they know things instead of why they know things. Um, so I feel like that's been beneficial of like trying not to target people's values. I, I, I totally agree. Yeah. And Matthew Fasciani, the Matthew, yeah. who I interviewed regarding misinformation, has some fantastic insight as to how to uh, best approach these conversations. And the frustrating thing is that you cannot have these on Twitter. Yeah. You can't be patient and sit back and say, well, how do you know that? Right. And why do you feel a market solution is a concern? Why is that a problem to you? Right. Uh, what other solutions would there be? And, you know, because clearly that individual finds some uh, moral downside for in making a profit in that sense, but, yeah. you know, not in, in perhaps his other personal journeys. So right. it's all quite fascinating and challenging. Um, and so to that end, do you, do you think more favorable data, you know, if we get these um, studies done and it shows reductions in methane or in greenhouse uh, gas emissions, at least from the people that you've met and perhaps interacted with on, on Twitter, do you think that's necessarily going to be enough to sway people's opinions? I definitely think it's important and to get more like peer-reviewed papers out there to move past, you know, the ones that have been rebuttaled. But I do think focusing on like narratives is really important. So if we like can show, you know, Bitcoin only uses like a tenth of a percent of energy, which has been proven, um, or that Bitcoin's network is powered by like over 50% of renewables, which has also been like proven, um, I think it's been helpful, but I think we still really need to focus on narratives because like, you know, the Ethereum like merge 
switch to proof of stake that's going to happen. Um, Troy pointed out recently on Twitter, of like, this is going to start becoming like a pretty big talking point. And I've been thinking about that a lot because I've had multiple friends, like even the friend I was talking about, they're like, oh, like, what about XRP? What about Cardano? And like, so yeah, definitely like continuing with education on like why Bitcoin's proof of work makes it the freedom technology that it is of it being censorship resistant. I think is really important, but I definitely think uh, there's a need for more data and I've been really excited to get to help out with that part since it's something that I love to do day to day of just like data analysis. But um, I've also been really motivated to help with the narrative part. I'm still trying to figure out exactly how to do that, but I do think that's really important. And so what are your, what are your hopes, your goals here now uh, to be able to, to work in the space? What's exciting you? What would you, what would be your I guess, dream position to, to move into? That's a great question. So to preface this, uh, I did end up mastering out of my PhD program. So that means I'm going to leave with a master's instead of a PhD, since I don't want a career as a meteorologist or a climate scientist purely. And I was really excited to be able to take my background in engineering and climate uh, and be a helpful force in the Bitcoin space. So um, I have been looking for, you know, data analyst type positions when it comes to like Bitcoin and energy. Um, but I've also been really interested in the education part. Like, I'm really excited to get to say I get to help Vespine, the company that I mentioned a little bit ago. I get to help them with their Twitter presence and community education engagement. So it's been a super honor to get to join the team since it really aligns with my just life goals of like helping educate people about Bitcoin, also just reducing methane emissions. It's like one of the best things we could do to prevent any more global warming. Um, so uh, I've also been like really open to new opportunities and seeing what skills I want to grow, what skills I can grow. I've been getting a little bit more and more interested in like talking to policymakers, which I've always been kind of uh, turned away from, but I've been talking with Dennis Porter from the Satoshi Action Fund and how I can help uh, in that effort with like, you know, educating regulators from blue states about how Bitcoin can be a driving force for good when it comes to climate change. Do you think there's any bio waste from all the vineyards in Santa Barbara and Santa Inez that uh, are collected in, in emit methane? Probably, probably. That's a great, that's a great idea. I mean, I've loved how Bitcoin has been teaching people to look at waste differently I'm someone who like often thinks about where things come from and where they go. And I feel like that's lost from society now. So it's great to see like a big cohort of people get interested on like how to reuse waste and to harness all the value out of waste uh, we can. So like the landfills or food compost or wastewater treatment plants, like all these applications to harnessing energy and mining Bitcoin has been really exciting to see that, uh, yeah, just the worldview kind of change and smoke, getting closer to that like circular economy we should be striving for. Well, if you had to pitch Bitcoin, what would be your message to our listeners who perhaps send this episode to friends and family uh, who care about the climate and yet much like your friends, your peers who remain skeptical, what is your, your way of describing Bitcoin's benefits uh, to them at this point in your in your journey? So 
yeah, I feel like the best place to start is how Bitcoin has been helping millions of people around the world, uh, being able to use, transact, save, and build wealth um, that you don't have to have approval from your, you know, your government, which for yeah, 40% of the world's population is an authoritarian government. That you don't have to have approval from them to send money to your relatives. You can protect people are protecting themselves from hyperinflation, uh, being able to build businesses and actually save their money. I also want to prompt people to, you know, acknowledge that things are nuanced, things are complicated, and the media saying that Bitcoin is bad for the environment is a pretty simplistic and limited view. Like most things that are good to do, uh, it takes work and it's uncomfortable to like really dig into that. So um, to really do the research yourself, to look at other sources that disagree with the sources that you've been reading and really pave the path to like think for yourself, I think is really important. The climate change fight is extremely urgent and the solutions that we've had from this top-down you know, approach from the government with subsidies and things like that, like it hasn't been super effective. Um, I was often confused. I'm like, why aren't we 100% renewable energy? I just don't understand. We have solar panels, <laughs> we have wind. Um, but Bitcoin has taught me a lot about energy power grids and it's uncomfortable. It's hard to accept how severe the problem is and how embedded it is uh, in everyday life. So to do the work, be uncomfortable, right? It's okay to change your mind. It's okay to like stray from what the mainstream progressive view is. I think it's wrong to try to label people as like bad progressives or bad liberals for like, you know, disagreeing with like the mainstream liberal narrative right now. Yeah. And heaven for heaven forbid we label somebody a bad Bitcoiner <laughs> or, or pseudo maximalist. God forbid. All right, absolutely. And I one thing I've been thinking a lot about lately is how people see Bitcoin as simply an, an asset or an investment. Yeah. And again, to your peers' point, that it's just a market solution. And while it is that, I don't think we emphasize enough that we believe it to be completely different than any other, again, asset or investment or anything like that. It has this huge moral and ethical yeah. component to it. Mm -hmm. That is what draws us into Bitcoin and why we care so much about it. Yeah. And I often find myself leading with that just by saying up front, mm -hmm. we believe, I believe Bitcoin to be a force for good. I don't view it simply as this thing to invest in. I right. believe it is the most progressive force that we've seen in, in decades. Yeah. I believe it to be a force for good. Yeah. And here's why. And as you've done, mm -hmm. peel back the layers of of their values and their hows and their whys and going from there. And usually that that foot in the door with again, this is not some like selfish investment that I'm looking to pump my bags on, but rather this is something I think is incredibly powerful. And I want you to be a part of that journey with me. Uh, seems to resonate a little bit better than, than let's talk about uh, demand load response and see how it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take a page from your book because I that sounds great. It definitely sounds a great way to lead into it. I want to 
I'm floating this idea out into listener universe. Um, but I've really been struck by the idea of potentially starting a meetup, not as just simply Bitcoin, not simply a Bitcoin meetup, but a Bitcoin for humanity meetup um, would be the name of it. So that you you come to it to not only learn about Bitcoin, but you come to to learn about its its benefits in that sense. So it's obviously very le- much less technical, very much less mm-hmm. anything about price, but rather come to learn about how it's beneficial. So mulling over that idea in all my free time. Um, but in, in the meantime, maybe we can start one in, in Santa Barbara and enjoy some Central Coast wine while we're at it. Totally. That sounds super fun. I'm really excited for the Pacific Bitcoin conference that will be going on mm-hmm. in November in LA since that's pretty close to where I am. So I'm excited to get to go to my first uh, Bitcoin conference, meet up, get to meet people in person. In my effort of like learning about Bitcoin and getting into the community, I've been trying to do as many like digital face-to-face meetups as possible. So getting to meet with some of those folks in person, getting to meet many more in person sounds really exciting. Any final thoughts, Marissa? Yeah, I really liked your point of like, you, you don't consider Bitcoin an investment since that's that's how I first started to learn about it. And I completely agree with you. you know, I don't see Bitcoin as an investment. I see it as, for me personally, since I live in you know a very financially privileged place, I see it as savings technology for myself. And that has given me a lot of hope of like what I'll be able to achieve in the future. I also... You know, I, I want to reflect on the idea of like voting with your with your dollars, voting with your money. I don't think that the U.S. government, that supremacy is based off of oil and the petrodollar, and having deals with dictators and you know controlling the world by uh, our you know oil backed dollar. Um, I don't think they are going to do a great job at solving climate change. I don't think they have, and I don't think they will in time that we need it. So in the same way of like people tell you to vote with your dollars and don't buy things from big companies uh, that you don't agree with, like for me, saving my money in Bitcoin is voting with my money. That was perfect. That that was a great um, comparison there to what many people ask of each other, meaning don't put your dollars where uh, you don't want to support uh, specific companies or causes. So what gives you hope, Marissa? Bitcoin gives me hope that we have the chance to like take, you know, short-sighted human self-interest and emotion out of our monetary system. Bitcoin gives me hope that people who are being oppressed under under authoritarian governments or um, communities or people will have the opportunity to make a better life for themselves. So also just people being nice gives me hope, even though, you know, maybe not everyone's nice to me or not everyone's nice to everybody. I do think everyone has it in them to be nice to somebody. So that also uh, gives me hope. Wonderful. I love it. Well, tell the listeners where they can find you uh, so that they can pitch you all the wonderful positions to apply for to be more involved in Bitcoin. Hey, you can uh, catch me on Twitter. So my handle is Marissa underscore co. So that's M-E-R-I-S-S-A underscore C-O. 
you can also catch me at the Pacific Bitcoin Conference this November. I'd love to meet all of you and talk to all of you, and especially if you disagree with me. So I'd love to talk with you. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining me. It was a pleasure, and I wish you all the best. I hope our paths cross here soon, um, perhaps at the Santa Barbara airport. <laughs> thank you so much, Mark. Thanks, thanks for your work in the community. Much appreciated. Thank you. Hey, don't forget to visit sunexchange.com backslash progressive Bitcoiner to buy solar cells that will power the projects that inspire you. You'll earn monthly Bitcoin payments for 20 years from the clean energy your solar cells generate. And the organizations you power gain access to affordable, reliable, clean energy. With SunExchange, you can easily earn Bitcoin and make a positive impact on the planet. Progressive Bitcoiner listeners get a free solar cell with their first purchase. So get started at sunexchange.com backslash progressive Bitcoiner. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Progressive Bitcoiner. If you enjoyed the show, head on over to Apple Podcasts and please leave a review. And don't forget, we have a website, theprogressivebitcoiner.com, where we have a lot of great content on Bitcoin and progressive issues. Thanks again for tuning in.